0: Real Life. Real Life. Real Life. Real Life. Real Life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real
1: Life Christian Church.
0: Real Life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real Life Messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper.
1: I want to say welcome to all you doubters and that's just about all of us if you're if you're really honest Jesus appeared to his disciples remember that and Thomas wasn't there and the disciples said Thomas the Lord's alive when something like this John 20 24 now Thomas called the twin or Didymus one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came And the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord, and so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, see he had a resurrected body. And just a little aside here, in heaven you and I are gonna have resurrected bodies and, and there will be dwelling places in heaven, but there will be no doors because you will pass through doors. Isn't that something? So anyway, when Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And this time he turned to Thomas and addressed Thomas and said, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And then this tremendous statement of faith, tremendous And Thomas, and I don't even know if he touched his side or touched his hands. I have no idea. The Bible never tells us if he actually followed through and did it. But Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He saw this man standing in front of him and said, my Lord and my God, and that's worship. And Jesus received the worship. He is God. And so doubting Thomas, there are three kinds of people as they relate to God. On one extreme, on one end, you've got the atheist. The atheist would be the Madeline Murray O'Hare type. They believe everything evolved. They're Freudian because Sigmund Freud said that Christians create the idea of of God in their minds. That's what Freud said. We create the idea of God in our minds because we need some kind of a crutch and we can't handle life. That's the atheist. That's one end. Then you've got the other end, and that's the believer who believes God is real, he believes God is personal. And the believer says, I love him, and I obey him because I love him, and I love him so much I'm willing to make sacrifices and deny myself because I love him, and that's the other extreme. And right in the middle, you've got the third group, and that's called the agnostic. Agnostic is a word that means I don't know, or you can't know, you can't even know truth, see? It's the perpetual doubter, I'm still searching, they say. I'm searching. I'm trying to find myself. That's nuts. Convince me, you know? I mean, it sounds very intellectual. Doesn't it does. not sounds very sincere. I mean, it sounds good. sounds sincere. Oh, I'm searching. But you got to know what Jesus said. Jesus said, he who is not for me is what? Against me, and there is no middle ground. Oh, I'm searching. He who is not for me is against me, and yeah, you well might be searching, but let me read your Revelation 3, 15 and 16. Jesus Christ said, I would that you were either hot or cold. I want you to be one end or the other, hot or cold. But you're lukewarm, and that's middle ground, that's agnostic. And he said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. See, this middle-of-the-road professional doubter who avoids a commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of his life is lost. They are lost until they get off the fence. And if you're here today and you're playing that middle-of-the-road agnostic game, you know, never enough information, convince me. I want to tell you, it's a deadly game. You're messing with eternity, and eternity is where you're going to spend forever. And so let me ask you, get off the fence. Would you get off the fence today? See, but believers have honest doubt. We saw that in Thomas. They have honest doubt. And I want to look at a role model of mine, and I'll tell you why he's a role model of mine. I mean, I relate to John the Baptist so much. He was another doubter. He was the man that God brought into the world to get the Jews ready to receive Christ as their Messiah. And John had disciples, and he said to a couple of them one day, he said, as Jesus was walking toward him, John looked at his disciples and said, Look, or behold, look there is the Lamb of God. And when he said, behold, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world. He says, there's the fulfillment of all Testament prophecy. This guy is really the Messiah. And John at that time had multitudes following him. He preached in the Judean wilderness and people just throwed, Just came out to him in, in droves and throngs. And now Jesus comes on the scene. And now just a few, a few leftover stragglers come to John because they're all going to Jesus. And his diehard disciples say this, In John chapter 3, and verse 26, And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, (laughs) he said, behold, he is baptizing, and everybody's going to him. And they were really bummed out in what did John say. In verse 30, our memory work for today, Man, what a philosophy of life. And this is exactly why John is my hero, man. He is a role model of mine because John said to his disciples who said, wait a minute, this isn't fair. Everybody's going to him. They're not coming to us anymore. And you invested yourself and did all that work to build him up. And John said, he must increase and I must decrease. John said, I rejoice that people are giving him the glory. John said, I rejoice that I'm only a vehicle to point to him. Folks, that's where I want to be. I'm not sure I'm there yet. That's where I want to be. I want to say with my heart sincerely, and I pray you do, that he must increase and I must decrease. And so at that time, Herod is king of the land of the Jews. And Herod has a brother who has a wife whose name is Herodias. And Herod has a thing for Herodias. They go to the family parties. They kind of brush elbows. See you later, you know, stuff like that. And he seduces Herodias. And he gets to the point where he has a hit man kill his own brother. And then he tries to gloss this whole thing over publicly and say, you know, he just tries to make it look right. But John sees through all this stuff. And so John's out there in the Judean wilderness. And he's saying, wait a minute, this is all wrong. Your king is living in sin. Your king is a murderer and he's an adulterer. And John has to be shut up, so what does Herod and Herodias do? They throw him in prison to shut him up. How long, a month? I don't know, two months, three, a year, I don't know. But see, John was used to being in the thick of battle, you might say, talking to people, challenging false ideas about God, the Messiah, and salvation. And so now John is in prison, and daily his disciples come to him, and they report to him on the activity of Jesus. Oh, Jesus did this, and Jesus did that. But why doesn't he get me out of his jail? Are you really, are you really the Messiah? And so this guy doubted. I mean, this is the same guy who pointed to Jesus and said, behold, he's the one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same guy who said, he must increase and I must decrease a pillar of the faith. And now he says, are you really, are you really the Savior? And that tells me that believers have doubts. That's the point. Believers have doubts. I mean, what are these doubts? How about this? If God is love and God has all power, why is there evil? I hear this a lot. I'm sure Dick does. Maybe you do. If God has all love and God has all power, why is there evil in the world? Why can't God stop it? Why didn't God stop the terrorists from from killing all those people in the Twin Towers? I mean, why, why do such good, listen to this, good people ask this question, why do such good, innocent people suffer? And my response to that is this, and most people don't understand this, we are born in sin, no one is good, no one is innocent. But people ask that question, why do good, innocent people suffer? Now I'll tell you honestly, one I've dealt with, and it hits me every now and then, especially when I'm in crowds with all the people in the world and all the prayers being offered by all these people in the world for all their hurts, and there's so many more important things and so many people hurting more than me, does God really care about this diddly little thing that's going on in my life? Is God really personal. That hits me. It does. Ever wonder about eternal life? Is there life after death? Will I be with Jesus forever when I die? And you say to yourself, I'm denying myself, man. <laughs> I'm denying myself all these things because things have no eternal value and they go and this life ends. And I try and treat people not like they treat me, but I try and treat people like Jesus would have me treat them. Is it all worth it? All these sacrifices. If there's no life after death, people wonder about those things. There's doubt. Ever wonder the Bible says I should live in such and such a way. Is there some latitude? Do I have some latitude? Can I veer to the left? Can I veer to the right? Or do I have to tread that straight line? And really what you're saying is the Bible really the inspired word of God. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? See, people have these doubts. The Bible teaches that God hears and answers prayer. Does he? Is what happened in my life somebody said to me in answer to prayer, or was that just coincidence? I was in the right place at the right time. Excuse me, well, was this really God? Or just a set of circumstances happening at the right time. It's all doubt. I mean, the list gets pretty long. Is God really just? Is there there really justice in the character of God when people who don't care about Jesus Christ prosper and Christian people who try and obey God get all the grief? I mean, let's, let's meet doubt head on today, and let's deal with it. There's five ways to deal with doubt. There's probably 105 or 205, but I came up with five ways to deal with doubt, and here's the first one. I do not like to blame the devil. I don't like to blame him when I sin because I make choices to sin. It is not the devil's fault when I sin or you sin. Don't blame the devil. I make choices. What the devil can do and what demons can do is they can dangle bait, but I have to make the choice to eat that bait or take that bait. But I believe, I believe so many of the doubts that, that, that come our way come from the devil because in John 8, Jesus calls the devil what he is, the father of lies, so the devil is the father of lies, and, and when the devil lies to you, what does that do? That creates doubt, and that's where doubt comes from. That's where a lot of doubts come from. They come from the world of demons. And I look at John chapter ten, verse ten, and I see a difference between Jesus and the devil. John ten ten says this: the thief—that's the devil does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the job, devil's job description. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so our Lord wants us to have real life in him and the devil wants to destroy your life. The devil knows that once you're saved, you're in God's grip. You can never be unsaved. And so what he's gonna do is he's gonna do everything he can to make your life in this life miserable and make sure you don't witness to others. He wants you to be a joyful, a joyful joyless Christian with no witness. And so he creates doubt in the Garden of Eden. Remember, he said to Eve, I mean, mean Eve said, but God said this. And what did the devil say? Eve, did God really say this? Remember that? He tried to create doubt. Matthew 4, verse 3, our Lord's in the wilderness, a 40-day fast. If you are the Son of God, notice, if you are the Son of God, change these stones into bread. He's trying to create doubt. It's what he does. He wanted Jesus to think like this. Well, am I really on a mission from my Father in heaven? I mean, wouldn't my Father take care of me? Wouldn't my Father feed me? But Jesus didn't buy into that. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He quoted scripture and says, get out of here, Satan. So Satan seeks to create doubt. It's what he does. There is supernatural warfare going on every day in every believer's life. All day, every day, there is supernatural warfare. In his effort to rob you of all that God wants you to be, as a child of his, the devil has what I call minions or untold numbers of evil angels attacking you, and what happens is this, God sees that God is personal, and he sends out his devoted good angels to intercept the demons to ward them off. I mean, I mean demons attack us spiritually, and one way they attack us is, is to create doubt. And I believe they also attack us physically. And folks, if all, if, if you, if all the angels would all of a sudden become visible, and you could see the spiritual warfare going on around us, I don't think we could handle it. I I really think we'd shrivel. And Paul says this in Ephesians 6, 12. He says, here's here's where the struggle is. We don't struggle against flesh and blood, but the real struggle against, listen, principalities, powers, rulers of this present darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And I got to tell you, folks, I am no match for demons Second Corinthians chapter two, they scheme. The devil schemes. He watches you. The Bible calls angels watchers in Daniel. Daniel seven, angels are watchers. They watch. They scheme. And I am no match for the devil. The devil is a supernatural being. I'm a natural being. The devil has supernatural power. I don't have supernatural power. But you know what I have? I have prayer. And prayer links me with a supernatural God who created Satan. And prayer links me with the supernatural power of God. And so when I feel these doubts, the first thing I do, man, is I go to war. I go to battle in prayer. I I I do spiritual warfare prayers and I pray to God. And I man, I just I pray you do this. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, Father in heaven, if this is from Satan, please protect my heart, protect my mind, protect me spiritually send your angels or whatever means you choose, but fight this battle for me because I can't fight this deal myself. I am no match for Satan. I admit that. And I pray in Jesus' loving and strong name. So prayer is your weapon, folks. Now, we know the devil is a, not not the only source of doubt. He he is a source of doubt. Well, secondly, if you want to fight doubt, admit to God you're having these doubts. Don't be ashamed of it or hide it. You know, God tells us to do that very thing in his word, Psalm 73. Man, Psalm 73 is so today. Let me just read this to you. Psalm 73. What's what's going on here is the is is the human author of the Psalm. God's God obviously is the divine author, but the human author of this psalm is having a problem watching the wicked prosper. Verse 3, Psalm 73. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, man, I got envious. There's no pangs in their death. He means they die natural, painless deaths. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble like other men. Their money can buy them out of any trouble they have. Nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Listen to this. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could ever wish. And then verse 8, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily, meaning proudly, And they kind of shake their fist at God, you know. And then he goes down to verse 13. Look at verse 13. They say, surely I, look at that. Surely I have cleansed, I have cleansed my heart in vain. What's he saying? I'm trying to keep your laws and it's useless. I've washed my hands in innocence. Verse 14, for all day long, I've been plagued. I've been chastened all day long. Folks, do you know how today that is? Do you know how many people deal with that stuff? And once you admit this, once you admit this is how you're thinking, once you admit your confusion, once you admit your doubt, guess what? You have disarmed Satan. And here's another beautiful benefit. Because when you can go to God in prayer like that and say, God, this is what's going on in my heart. This is what's going on in my mind. You know what? You're developing intimacy with God in prayer. That's so, man, you're just just laying your heart on the table and saying, God, you know, I I can't understand this, man. I'm I'm the one who serves you. you I'm I'm the one who thinks, is this God's will or not? And all this bad stuff is coming my way, and and all these people who don't care two hoots about you are getting all the good stuff. When you start praying like that, I want to tell you, you have disarmed Satan. And notice, when John admitted his doubt and sent his two disciples to Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, John's a loser. Don't listen to John. Forget everything he said right now. Here's what he said about John. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see when you went out to see John? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? He said, not my disciple John, man, not my servant John. This guy, this guy is a rock. He's solid. He knows what he believes. He's out there in the ba- He's out there in the trenches fighting the battle every day. He's a rock. I mean, he applauded John. Would you go out in the wilderness to see a guy who wants royal robes to live in king's palaces? Not my disciple John. He gave that all up to proclaim my name. I think that's quite a tribute to a doubter. Is doubt sin? Of course it is. Sure it is. But God forgives those sins. That's why Jesus came, and he uses that to, your, to his glory in your good. He can make you stronger through doubts. Verse 11, Matthew 11, Jesus said this of John, Assuredly, I say to you among those born of women, there has, been, there, there has no one risen greater than John. So admit it to God. Number one, how you deal with doubt, you go to war, spiritual warfare. This is from hell. Number two, you admit it to God. Don't play games with God. Admit it to God. Thirdly, know yourself, know when you're vulnerable, know when you're hurting, know that. John was imprisoned, and that's when doubt came. John had lots and lots and lots of time to think. Did he think to himself, listen, I laid my life on the line to show that Herod was an adulterer, and adultery is a sin, and I end up like this, Jesus, if you knew this, I wouldn't be here. You would have done something about it, and so he's doubting. See, John the Baptist was in a very vulnerable time of his life. He was hurting. And this giant of faith said, could I have been all wrong? Are you really the promised Savior? Now, I don't want to give Satan any credit, but Satan can only be in one place at one time. Satan is not omnipresent like God. He has limited power. He doesn't have the power of God, but he's got an organized, because he can only be in one place at one time, he has an organized host of fallen angels who know when you're down. And you need to know yourself. And you need to know when he's attacking you. You need, to, you need to know that when you're depressed, the D's, down, despondent, disillusioned, disgusted. I mean, you know, that you, 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 are, man, you are so vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And what you need to do at that point in your life, you need to know yourself. And you need to say, wait a minute, God is real And when you're going through these doubts, at this point in your life, you need to go to John's Gospel, 18 and 19, the story of the cross, or Matthew 27 or Luke 23. You need to go to the cross, and you need to read that that Jesus gave everything for you, and you take this whole thing back to the cross, and you know yourself, and you say, wait a minute, this is not the real picture here. I mean, I know myself, I know when I'm upset about something, and I know I need to keep my mouth shut. I know if I talk now, I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth and I'm going to hurt somebody or offend somebody, so I need to zip my lip and walk away. I know, my, I know myself that well. And you need to know yourself. Right now, man, I'm disgusted. I'm down. I'm disillusioned with life. And no, you are now vulnerable to all these attacks of the enemy. Is God really in this? Is God personal? Is this God's word? That's when he comes, when you're down. you got to know that. And you say, wait a minute, this is not the real picture. I am God's child. He gave his son for me. He loves me dearly. Okay, point four on dealing with doubt. Don't trust your feelings. When you doubt whether or not God is personal, when you're asking yourself, did God really say this? When you really don't feel like turning to God in prayer, going to God's word, man, you do it anyway. And this may be the most important thing I say in this whole message. How we feel about a given situation has little or nothing to do with the truth of a situation. Man, go home with that, please. How we feel has a lot to do with did you get enough sleep or didn't you get enough sleep. How you feel has a lot to do with, did your wife correct you in public? Oh honey, it wasn't 36, it was 24, and there were 10 people watching this and you appear as hand pecked. How you feel is determined about that evening, you, were on, you and your husband were home watching TV and you're feeling very romantic and he falls asleep on the couch. Even how you feel about God, that's not real, see, that's not real. I mean, his word is truth. And like I said, people play these dumb little games with God. I talked to a guy, he'd been sick for months, and he said, I feel like my prayers aren't getting through, so I'm going to quit praying. I'm going to quit reading the Word of God. What's he doing? He's acting on what? Feelings. He's not acting on truth. I mean, you read Truth Bible, God hears and answers every prayer. So you say there's no meaning or there's no purpose to what I'm going through. And that's how you feel. You feel like there's no meaning or no purpose to what I'm going through. Then you need to go to the Word of God. You need to go to John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and my Father in heaven takes his shears and he prunes back the branches so that you bear more fruit. And the truth of the situation is, yes, there is purpose, there is meaning in what you're going through, because you're being pruned, and you're being pruned for greater service and more fruit. But you didn't feel that way, did you? But you got to look at the truth of God's Word. The Word of God says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, The Lord will not give you more than you can bear. So what you're saying, I mean, you're feeling is there's no end to what I'm going through, But the truth of the word of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, says the Lord will not give you more than you can bear, which says God knows your limit, which says if you're still going through it, guess what? You can still bear more because the word of God says he knows your limit, right? He knows you can handle it. And with the trial, the word of God says God will provide 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the way out. Now that's truth. Here's the fifth way and this permeates everything it begins i mean everything begins and ends with prayer folks we have to be persistent in prayer because when you're going through doubts you're not going to feel like praying you're going to feel like god's like i said a million miles away and your natural inclination is could going to be to say why pray what's the use I mean, when you doubt the very truth and presence of God, you're going to think like that. But it's like studying the Word of God, man. You do it anyway. You do it anyway. You go before God's throne. You hang in there in prayer. I mean, you hang tough. And when you pray, hear me. This is how I, this is, I got it. This is so personal to me. This is why I pray. I pray. I want answers, of course I want answers. I want an end to what I'm going through, of course I do. But that's not why I pray. I don't pray to get answers. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. I pray to get to know God. I want to know God's heart. I open myself up to God and I say, God, I just want to receive whatever you have to give me because I know it's right. I want to praise him. I don't only really want to say, God, this is what I need. I want to thank him. I want to get into the mind and heart of God, especially on those days when you're going through something, when doubt assaults you, and you don't want to do it. And when you go to God on those days, I believe sincerely God will bless you doubly. And I pray these words have been a blessing to you today.
0: Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.